Good morning. I am very excited to uh, to get to be up in the podium this morning. Uh, Mark is, of course, uh, out in the Pigeon Forge area for polishing the pulpit. Um, he has a very vital role in that program, and it is a, a huge, uh, huge event that has grown over the years. And uh, so he is out uh, for the week uh, getting to participate in that. Um, so you are left with me, um, not just this morning, but also this afternoon. So uh, get ready for all of that. Um, <clears throat> I want to start off the way that, <clears throat> that I, no, uh, I normally do. Uh, we're going to start off with third grade. Uh, when, I was, when I was in third grade, um, I, there is a moment in third grade that I'm, I'm not proud of. Um, that I still look back after all these years and I go, man, I, I, can't, believe that, I can't believe that I did this. Um, now, I will go ahead and say this. I, I was normally a pretty good kid. Uh, if, my, if my mom ever came around, she was actually here this past week, but if she ever came around and happened to be with us, you could ask her and she would vouch for me. I was a relatively well-behaved child. Um, there were a few times where I was a little difficult, uh, specifically in K-4. Um, I think it was just because I was acting out because I didn't really want to be there. So I, I did a few things, uh, bit a kid a couple of times, but he asked me to, to be fair. And uh, I also uh, unrolled an entire roll of toilet paper in the toilet and flushed it and flooded our classroom. Uh, so I did a few different things in K-4. That was kind of my, my, uh, my bad year. Um, but I was normally a very well-behaved child. I usually didn't respond to anger very well. If I was put in a situation where I got angry, uh, I didn't usually do much of anything. But in this particular situation in third grade, uh, I sat right behind my best friend. And, uh, and of course, we're in those, those normal desks with the little cubbies underneath them. And uh, there's probably, you know, five or six chairs going this way and three or four or five rows going this way. And we're all together. And me and him are in the dead center. And I'm in my desk and he's right in front of me. And our teacher, um, for some reason or another, actually goes out of the room. And, uh, and so me and my friend are having this discussion. And I'll be honest, I don't remember exactly what was said. But I do know that, that I got pretty angry. Um, and in fact, I got angry enough at, at my best friend at the time to allow myself or just lose control enough to reach under into my cubby, find my ruler, and proceed to just smack him across the head with it. And uh, I did leave a mark, and he did not react to it well. Um, he had a few tears, and uh, I felt terrible, and I just knew, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to get in trouble, here we go, and I did, um, but I, I just couldn't believe that I had done something like that, and, and even to this day, I still look back, and I go, wow, I, I can't believe that I did that, and ever since then, after that, 
Um, you know, I, I was never really a, a physical person. I've never, I'll be honest, I've never gotten into a fight. Um, I did Taekwondo for 10 years. Um, and uh, so I, if I was forced to spar with somebody, I'd do that. But I, I've never actually been in a fight with anyone. Um, I've never really hit anyone. Uh, my brother doesn't count. You know, siblings, that's how it goes. But... Uh, you know, I've never been a physical person. My, my anger has never uh, become something physical, typically, in my life. But, when I got angry, and, and even on occasion still to this day, um, I, I will still react uh, in some way. Um, when I was in high school, one of the main ways that I actually reacted to anger was on social media. Um, I liked to, to vent on social media. At that time, it was MySpace. Um, and, and I would get on there and I would just put all of my frustrations out and just let everyone see that I was angry. And that's how I would take care of that. Um, there were other times where I would go up and I would say something to someone and I would make sure they knew that I was angry at them and, and, and that I didn't appreciate them and I would, I would do something to, to belittle them. It's always something that I will continue to, to fight throughout my life. This idea of, of uh, being in a situation of anger and learning how to respond to it. And maybe, just maybe, you might find yourself kind of looking at that in a similar way. You might actually be a, a more physical person. You might decide, you know, I'd like to handle things physically. Um, you might be more similar to me and, and feel like you can handle things by, by saying what you need to to make sure that they know that you're angry and, and that they uh, are below you and that you are the one that's right and, and that what they're doing is wrong and, and maybe that's the way you go about that. But I, I think it's safe to say that from time to time we all have difficulties with this idea of anger. And not just that, but also dealing with the anger that people have toward us when we do something wrong and, and the response that people bring to us and how we handle when we wrong someone who's then angry at us. This past week I was reading the, the Sermon on the Mount and, uh, and I came across a particular passage, one that you've probably seen and, and read before, one that we actually, uh, that Zach read for us this morning. And I was reading through it and something kind of jumped out at me that hasn't really before. And so what I want to do is I actually want to kind of focus on, on this idea. And I wanted to center my, uh, my sermon for you this morning around this idea. So if you would, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. That's where we'll spend most of our time this morning. Now, uh, before we get into Matthew, I, I want to start off in the Old Testament. And uh, I, I want to look at not just anger, but murder. You see, murder in the Old Testament was basically a, a natural reaction to anger. Um, it, it is basically a, a natural response or, or an instinct in response to, to anger. And of course, it's also a very physical reaction. Um, one of the ways that, uh, that we can see this and that, that we have, uh, have knowledge of this is from the, uh, the story of Cain and Abel. 
We see that Cain, of course, was the first one to, to do this, to, to commit murder. In Genesis chapter 4, we see that he had this, this anger toward his brother, and it led to this, uh, this physical response. And of course, if you continue to look all throughout the Old Testament, you will see that a lot of times things end with people being killed. You'll see that anger is usually responded in a physical way. And so this was obviously a, a problem. And uh, so later on in the, in the Old Testament, we see that something was done in order to, to make this stop from happening. Uh, when, when God presented this law, this new law to Moses, uh, we see that the, these new laws were then established to prevent this. Uh, these new laws were then established in order for this murder to no longer uh, take place, or at least take place without people realizing that it's against the will of God. Uh, and in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, we see very plain and simple the command, you shall not murder. Now, um, uh, of course, obviously, murder still takes place today. Um, it is still something, and it is usually, uh, it is usually takes place as a reaction to anger. But I feel like I can safely say that most of us in this room do not typically resort to murder when we get angry. Um, I think that we are probably all less on the side of murder and more on the side of reacting in uh, more mild ways. Uh, and we see from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see this transition. Uh, we see how looking at this law changes over time. Uh, this law that you shall not murder, we see what it becomes as we get into Matthew chapter 5. So in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount begins. And of course, I'm sure you've gone through and, and you can see that there are so many awesome passages that we get from the, the words of Christ that we can take and we can apply to our lives and that we can use uh, every day. But within this, uh, Jesus feels the need to, to clarify many different laws that were established in the Old Testament. Um, Real quick, we're going to skip our next blank, and we're actually going to go to the next one. I decided to rearrange the order of these. Um, you can go ahead and write this one down if you want to, but we'll come back to it. Uh, but at that time, the religious leaders had warped all of these practices, all of these old laws that they had, they had written down and that they had studied and they had looked at. They then began to completely change up the way that they, uh, the way that they practiced these things. The scribes and the Pharisees specifically had taken the laws that God had given and they had shaped it to fit more of what they wanted it to be, more of what they felt like it, it needed to be at that time. And because of that, they basically became the governing authority of God's law. And that, of course, was, was not okay. Um, they did not have the authority to be able to do these things, but they, they chose to do it anyway. And so they had, uh, they, they had 
kind of changed up all of these laws and, and, and uh, misinterpreted them and, and had used a lot of these for their own benefit. And so shortly after the sermon begins, Jesus addresses the law and he addresses these men. In Matthew chapter 5, I want to read beginning with verse 17. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. One of the first things that we see in this passage is that, of course, Jesus came not to abolish this law, but to fulfill the law. Jesus wasn't coming in and, and overturning everything that God had set up in the Old Testament, that God had set up through the previous law. Jesus was simply restoring this law and then completing it, making this law complete. A lot of times when we, when we look at ourselves as a church, we typically refer to ourselves as, as New Testament Christians. Uh, we, are, we, we follow the, the New Testament. We follow the law that Christ gave us. And that is a very accurate statement. But a lot of times when we do that, we also kind of say, because we are New Testament Christians, then the Old Testament doesn't, doesn't really matter as much to us Anymore, it doesn't really have as much weight, you know, as it did back back then, and and now we follow the new law, so we don't have to worry about the Old Testament. We don't worry, have to worry about the old law. But we have to remember that the law of Moses it was not overturned. It wasn't it wasn't completely gotten rid of and, and reestablished as something different. It was simply made complete. Jesus came and, and fulfilled that law. The Old Testament has just as much value to us today and to our story. And we have to recognize that. We have to recognize that what Jesus did was not to completely change the law altogether, but to fulfill it, to make it complete, to make it what we needed it to be. Now, in this passage that we looked at, verse 17 through 20, in verse 20, Jesus also reveals the foolishness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, we see, and, and of course, uh, like I said earlier, these men had falsely interpreted and had applied many Old Testament laws, and they'd done so in, in the wrong way. And uh, as you go through chapter 5 of Matthew, you can look and see all these different topics that, um, 
And in fact, if you look at each one, you'll see that it starts off, you have heard it was said, and then it continues on into that law. And what Jesus is doing is he's picking out these different laws. I believe there are six different ones. And he's saying, now, you've heard this law before, but you've heard it through the mouths of the scribes and the Pharisees. And this is what they're telling you it means. But that's not correct. This is what these laws really mean. And he fulfills each one of these laws. And so, uh, we see several of those laws, and those include, uh, include lust and divorce and oaths and retaliation and the idea of loving your enemies. We see all of these, but the first one, the one that we're going to focus on, is on anger. But we see here that, that Jesus reteaches all of these commands that were given in truth. He takes all these things that had been warped by the, the scribes and Pharisees and he reteaches them and he teaches them in truth. So that way they are able to, to have a, a true understanding of what Christ wants us to do when we face these situations, when we're, when we're facing these different laws and these different commands and how to respond to them, how to react within them. And so this morning we focus on this first one, on anger. Matthew chapter 5. I want to reread this for you. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old... You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there, before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. One of the, the biggest things that, that Jesus brings at the beginning of this passage, of course he says, you know, you've heard that it's said that the, the one who, who murders will be liable to judgment. But he basically tells us it, it does not end there. And reacting to it in what feels like a, a, a less harsh way is not any better. What he's telling us is that possessing this anger is no better than committing this murder. Dealing with anger in this way isn't any more helpful than how those in the Old Testament handled anger. Because whoever is angry, whoever insults his brother, whoever says, you fool, will be liable to, to judgment, to counsel, to the hell of fire. I want to read a couple other verses with you. Uh, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Beginning in verse 19, it reads, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. 
For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 25, it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, I want you to understand this idea. When I say possessing anger, what I mean is allowing this anger to remain with you. Because I'm going to be honest, there are many people who are going to make you angry. It, it is inevitable. Also, on the other side of that, we are going to do things that consequently make other people angry. It's inevitable. It is going to happen in our lives. Because we are not perfect people. The people around us are not perfect. And we are going to make mistakes. We're going to anger others. We're going to get angry at others at times. And it's going to happen. But when I say possessing, I don't mean having anger. I don't mean that, that you are in a situation and anger is, is the emotional reaction that you have. Possessing is allowing this anger to, to stay with you. Allowing this to remain within you. All throughout all these situations where, where your patience is tested, where you are, are stepped on, where you are mocked, where you are insulted. People are going to say things that will stir up a great rage within us. And we can even look in the Old Testament and we can see that, that God had anger as well. God was also angry. We can even look and see that it's recorded that Jesus was angry at one point in his life. But I want you to understand this. This command, it is not about never getting angry. It's about gaining control and seeking reconciliation. Many of you might remember this word, reconciliation. Uh, two years ago, this was actually kind of the, the root word for our, uh, for our local campaign that we did here in Walker County. Reconcile. Uh, reconciliation. And, and this term uh, basically translates to uh, to restore relations between, or to cause to coexist in harmony, or to bring together. This command is about us being able to gain control of those situations, and also being able to, to make sure that we are brought back together with those people. Whether it is someone that, that we have made angry against us, or that has angered us. We have to seek reconciliation. 
We have to learn to restore those relationships when we or when they face anger from what we've done or what they have done to us. I want to look at another passage in in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 8, it says, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Skipping on to verse 12, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Anger must be put away. And it has to be replaced with these qualities that we just read about. We have to be able to to understand and gain control of our anger. And we have to always seek reconciliation. We can also understand that through Christ... Rather than responding with this anger and reacting in a way that that He would not want us to, we can respond with love and with forgiveness. Just by looking at the example that Christ left us, we can see how responding in this way will change our lives for the better. In Matthew chapter 5, Verse 23, I want to reread verse 23 and 24 for you. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. First be reconciled to your brother. In the Old Testament, an offering was a a form of of worship. And there were a couple different ways that, uh, many different offerings that they could give, and there were different reasons for those different offerings, um, either in praise to God or for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Whatever it might be, it was a, a form of worship. And this passage is is basically telling these men that before you do this, before you go and and engage in this act of worship, I want you to stop. I want you to leave your gift there and I want you to go and find that brother. Go and find that brother that you have wronged or that has wronged you, that you have anger toward or that brother that has anger toward you. And I want you to go and make things right. Then, once you have restored that relationship, go back. And then make your offering. Worship is is different now. That is true. But this idea is, is not. I want you to understand that the same way that it's telling these people in the Old Testament not to come in and and make that offering until they have been reconciled with their brother. 
In the same way, do not come through these doors. Do not sit down and be here to worship your God if something is wrong. Before you stop, before you come in here and do this, you need to stop what you're doing. Walk out. Go find that brother wherever they might be, whether it is here or somewhere else, and make those things right. If we don't, our worship is not complete. Our worship is in vain if we allow these relationships to continue in our lives. When we come in and we worship together, obviously we are here for one reason. We are here to worship our God. And when we walk in and we sit down and we begin this worship, we are offering up to Him our praises, our time, our attention, our devotion. We are sitting here before Him and we are offering it to Him. But Jesus tells us here, Leave your gift there and go and make those things right. Go and restore that relationship. Before you worship Him, be reconciled to your brother. Before you make the decision to devote your time to Him, all of your relationships have to be where they need to be. We cannot come in here holding on to that anger that we have towards someone else. We can't come in here allowing so many people outside that we have wronged to to have this anger toward us without making it right first. We must restore these relationships and we must be reconciled. If we don't, then what are we doing here? I have two questions for you this morning. The first, is your worship in vain because of your anger? Are you sitting here doing all that you can to worship your God and and to love your God with all of your heart when at the same time you have hatred for another person or you've wronged so many other people. If you are, worship is in vain. Is your worship in vain because of your anger? In verse 25 and 26 of Matthew, it it speaks of of being brought to court. And this idea of making things right before being brought into the court and being before the judge. And of course, there will come a time of judgment. And though it might be a little bit different from the way that it's described in, in the end of this passage that we've been focusing on, we will all stand before the judge. And when we do stand before the judge, our actions will be brought before him. The anger that we have held or that the, the, the wrongdoing that we have done will be exposed before him. 
So my second question for you this morning, what will be exposed when you face the judge? When it is your time to go before our God, when this life is over, and you're trying to show Him all the things that you've done for Him, is it going to be overshadowed by the anger that you've held inside of your heart? By the frustrations that other people have had toward you because of the things that you've done toward them? When Jesus was on the cross, He had every right to be angry. He had every right to respond in in a terrible way and it would be justified because He had been so badly mistreated and there He was being killed. But He did not respond in anger. He responded with love, infinite love, and infinite forgiveness. And we have to learn and we have to understand that. And we have to emulate that. We have to make that every part of our lives today. I hope that as you sit here and you you think about these relationships that need to be mended, that after this you will make it a point to, to leave your gift here and to go make things right before you return. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you have not been living the way that you've wanted to. You feel like you have angered many people, that you've been living with anger stored up inside of your heart. And you have not replaced that with love and forgiveness, the love and forgiveness that that Christ has shown us. Maybe you're here and and you've not yet become a Christian and you want to learn more about what it takes to become a part of His church and you want to be baptized and join the body of Christ. If there is anything that we can do for you this morning, whether it be for prayers, for encouragement, we ask that you come forward now as we stand and as we sing. Yeah.